Good morning, church. It is so good to be here. Don't worry, I am not going to get into New York sports. I'm a Yankee, Giants, Islanders, Knicks fan, and I'm going to totally get booed out of this building. So I'm not even going to go there, especially talk about the Eagles. No way. So, um, I am so happy to be. I was, I was supposed to be here uh, last uh, three weeks ago or so, but I had COVID, and um, I was unable to come. And Ju- Pastor Justin came in, and he filled in from our church. Um, and so I'm just so happy to be here uh, today to worship uh, with y'all as um, as our dear brothers shared. Um, I'm married. I have uh, three daughters, ages 12, uh, 10, and 9. Uh, you, my gray hairs are just proliferating everywhere. They're all going... Uh, from 12 to like 25 right now. So um, uh, I've been a pastor for uh, 20 years or so. Uh, I've been a youth pastor for 12 years. And then I've been a lead pastor of a, a church plant called Edge City Church in Nassau County in Mineola uh, for the last seven years now. Uh, we are part of the E-Free denomination, and I'm so thrilled to be here. I uh, just check out different E-Free churches in our country. And so um, I got a chance to talk with Pastor Matt and uh, just, uh, just really just appreciate him and just the history with the Lord that uh, he has. And um, we miss him today, and we're just praying for him and his family as well. Uh, would you join me in a word of prayer before we continue? Uh, Father God, we just come before you right now, Lord. I just uh, present these next few moments into your hands as we dive into your word. Lord, have your way. God, I just pray, Lord, that you will get all the glory today, God, that I will just absolutely get out of the way. I love you and I praise you, Lord. I give you all the glory, honor, and praise. Lord, give us ears to hear. We just thank you and praise you. It is in Jesus' mighty name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to be talking today from Psalm 103. It's a a verse, a psalm that you probably heard many times before. And I want to preach to you from this psalm. It's one of my favorite psalms. And I want to speak to you on the topic of leading my soul. Can you do me a favor? Can you say, leading my soul? You see, um, Psalm 103 is written by King David of ancient Israel. And uh, I like King David because... King David was a warrior, a mighty king, and at the same time, he was also a poet, a art, an artist, a songwriter, and so this is the man who has written this particular psalm. And the weirdest thing happens in this psalm. The weirdest thing is this, is that David starts off this psalm by talking to his soul, talking to his soul. And some of you are here today, and you grew up reading your Bible, and you're just like going, oh, that's so beautiful. He's talking to his soul. Bless his heart. He's just talking to his soul. It's all good. Others of you who didn't grow up reading your Bible, you're, you're thinking, like, you're wondering, what in the world? This guy is weird. What's wrong with this guy? He goes on to say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. This guy is talking to his soul. And some of you are thinking, this guy is a little bit loony. Like, I think there's like psychotherapy treatment for people like this who just nowadays talk to themselves, right? But apparently King David did not have that. He is a man who is talking to himself. This is, you know what this reminds me of? Has anybody seen Castaway with Tom Hanks? This reminds me of Castaway with Tom Hanks, but unfortunately he doesn't have Wilson the volleyball to talk to here. 
this man is talking to himself, and you're thinking, well, this guy's just a little bit off. Here's what I've learned. This is what I've learned after walking with Jesus for the last 30 years of my life. I've learned this. I have learned that David, um, he's not so crazy to me. He doesn't sound so crazy when he talks to his soul. The idea that I learned is this. I have learned that I have an interior life. I have an interior life that the Bible calls my soul, my thought life, my will. Uh, it's the seed to my emotions. It is the control mechanism of my entire being. I have this external life, but I have a soul, the interior of my existence. And here's what I've learned. What I have learned is that my soul takes leadership to be healthy. My soul takes leadership to be healthy. Now, what I don't mean is positionally before God it takes leadership. I don't mean that, okay, because here's what I believe. I believe that the central message of the Bible is that our soul is saved as soon as we place our faith in the finished work of what Jesus has done on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so positionally, our souls are healthy as soon as we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Our sins are forgiven. Our, there is perfect righteousness before our God in heaven. Our, our soul is saved as it were. Positionally, we are healthy. But here's what I also mean, though. What I also mean is that I just can't put the interior of my life on autopilot and just assume that my heart and my mind will just drift into godliness. That accidentally, if I do not do anything, that I will become more of a godly man, of a godly father, of a godly person, or a godly woman, right, of a godly Christian. And what I have learned is I need to lead my soul. I need to lead my soul. In fact, if I am honest, the, the default mode of my soul is that even though I am saved by Jesus Christ, the default mode of my soul leans to anxiety, it leans to fearfulness, it leads to worry. That is the default mode of my soul. That I have this thing, that I have like a thousand things that are going great in my life that I can be so thankful for, but my soul will find the one thing that isn't going so well that I will just freak out about that one thing. That I am just laying down in my bed at night and I can think about all the good things that God has done for me, all the good things that God has done for my family, but my mind will just wander to that one thing that I could be so anxious about, and I will just gnaw on that one thing all night long. You see, my soul, it needs to be led. It needs to be led. My grandmother, when I was younger, my grandmother said this to me. She said, don't listen to yourself talk to yourself. 
Don't listen to yourself. Talk to yourself. And my grandmother said, to walk with Jesus, you're going to have to learn to stop listening to yourself, and you're going to have to learn to talk to yourself. And what I believe she meant to say was, you need to lead your soul. You need to lead your soul. And that's what King David has figured out here. As we lift up the hood here and we see this inner dialogue that is taking place between King David and his soul. And listen, this man had a crazy life, right? I mean, the external of his life was absolutely wild. And, you know, and we can think about, like, how busy our schedules are. Like, we think about we got a busy careers, you know, think about our studies, think about our hectic schedules. But King David had a pretty hectic schedule, right? He, he, he's got, think about it, this man has a kingdom to run. He has multiple battles that are going on at the same time. This man, he is battling with sin. He fell into sin. He, he lost a son as an infant. He has another son who is wayward. He has multiple wives, right? This man is busy, like, and that's a whole other sermon right there because, you know, uh, and that's why it's such a poor decision because the scripture never affirmed that because one wife is a good thing, but two, uh, not, not so much of a good thing, but that's a whole other sermon right there. You see, David has a lot going on in his life. He is a mighty leader, but he's figured out that the most important thing that he could lead every day is his soul. It is his soul. He, he, he is not going to drift into being healthy, into being grounded, into being a rooted man, and he needs to lead himself because nobody else is going to do that for him. And we see sort of a, a third-person dialogue that is taking place with his soul and with his interior life. So let's lift the hood here and let's take a look at a very practical sermon for us today. As I shared, the title of my message is Leading My Soul. So let's read that one more time. It says in verse 1, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Right? Bless his holy name. Remember, he's talking to his soul. Verse 2, it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Did you know that our soul has selective memory? Our soul will tend to remember all the bad things and forget about the good things. Our soul, and David is saying here, no, 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 soul, don't do that. Soul, remember the benefits of God. Remember that. And he's going to command his soul here. Soul, I know you want to think about the thousand other things going on, but in this moment, you're going to have to think about the benefits of God. And you are going to worship him for that. We have to command our soul. And then he gives us five benefits here before our soul is to bless the Lord for. And so if you're taking notes, uh, you can write this down. The first one is this. It is bless the Lord for his benefits. Bless the Lord for his benefits. Let's look at the benefit here in verse 3. It says this. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity. Okay, so... We have to tell our soul, soul, think about the fact that you have been forgiven. 
Revelation chapter 12, verse 10 says this, that we have an adversary, the devil, and the scripture calls him the accuser of the brethren. In other words, there is an enemy that wants to put inside of us accusations. Accusations to replay all of our greatest failures, all of our greatest sins. And the enemy wants to define us by those things. You remember how you messed up so bad in that area? You remember how you, that fractured relationship you have in your life? You remember how much of a sinner that you are? You remember that you are such a failure, right? And it is replaying this anthem of accusations in our head. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. I have forgiven you of your sins, Verse 12, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. That Jesus, he took our guilt. He paid for it on the cross. And David is telling his soul, soul, don't just slip over that fact. And I think we're going to have to do the same thing as well, right? Because I think it's this, almost like this Christian cliché Right? If you grew up in the church, as I did, and you're familiar with this, oh, yeah, you're forgiven, that's great. No, no, hold up. Like, hold on right there. Let's just, soul, don't skip over that. Forgiven for what? You see, forgiven for this. You see, you and I, we were destined for hell. In Romans, it says that the wages of sin is death. So, Sin was upon you and I, and Jesus came and he died for, you, for your sins and put the guilt that was upon you, he took it. And church, we have to tell our soul that. Forgiveness is not just some cliche. That is our reality. That is our, our, our destiny was to go uh, to the grave and uh, depart, apart from the grace of God, it was supposed to be hell. But Jesus, he saved us from that. And we need to tell our soul, bless the Lord that I have been forgiven. I have been forgiven. The next benefit here, verse 3, he says this, He who heals your diseases, heals your diseases. So he's talking to his soul here. And now we need to, we do believe that, um, you know, when, when, when we kind of hear this, we think about like a, a physical healing, right? And now we do believe that God heals in the physical body, and some of you are here, and you have witnessed that, and we celebrate the fact that God has healed you in your body. But in verse 3 here, he's talking about his soul, though. And he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, remember his benefits, who heals all your diseases. Now, what does he mean by that? And in this verse, when he's talking about diseases of the soul, he's talking about this. He's talking about guilt, your fear, your doubt, your depression, the anger, the hate, the jealousy, the greed, the resentment that was there. And he's saying that, look, when we encounter Jesus Christ, we don't just intellectually understand that, yeah, I'm forgiven, and then we move on from that? No, no, no. What happens is that we come to understand that that actually changes the way that we then experience life and the, we, and the way that we interact with other people. And healing begins to happen, and we understand the forgiveness of God. 
Here's what that looks like. Understanding that you have been forgiven allows you to forgive other people. Other people who have sinned against you. And what happens is healing begins to happen internally. And that right there is David's story. That's his story. Because much of David's life, he was on the run. He was hunted down by King Saul, and um, his, he had this opportunity to avenge himself from King Saul and harbor all this bitterness, but does David do that? David doesn't do that. David, he keeps his heart pure, and he says that, no, I'm forgiven, therefore I will forgive. And I will walk with the integrity and the purity, and I'm going to guard my heart against the diseases of anger and bitterness, and resentment, and hate, and revenge. And I am going to trust the Lord. That I have been forgiven, so I am going to forgive. And that's how it works here in the scripture. And, and see, Jesus not only says that, give me your past sins, and then I'll throw your past sins away. That's great. But no, he says, hey, let me come into your life and now change the things that are making you hollow and sick inside right now. That Jesus not only forgives all of our iniquity, benefit number two, he heals our, our, our diseases. And let's look at benefit number three. He says this in verse four. Who redeems your life from the pits. Who redeems your life from the pit. Now, that's what David is going to remind himself, that you've been forgiven, you've been healed, your destination was the pit. You, have been, you were headed for destruction, but Jesus comes in, and he, Jesus, he buys you back. Jesus, he pays an incredible price, his life on the cross, and he repurposes you and I, and he uses us for something, something so beautiful. And David is here, he's telling his soul, hey, do not overlook this. Forget not all the benefits that you have been redeemed from the pit. And, and to what? What have you been redeemed to? Let's look at the next benefit here. He says this, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. Now, um, when we see that God redeems us, we were headed uh, to uh, the pit. And he says he, he puts a crown in us, right? A crown of love, and it is a crown of mercy. Now, as I stand here, I don't know what this world has told you about your worth. I don't know what your elementary school teacher or classmates has told you about who you are. I don't know what your parents taught or said that you would amount to. I don't know what you think about yourself. But I know that before Jesus, way before we knew Jesus, our identity is just stitched together by what everybody else says about us. And what we think about ourselves is just Everyone else has this verdict for us in our lives. But Jesus comes in, and Jesus overturns that verdict, overturns it, and he says, 
He places a crown on your head. Right? Like, like think about that for a moment. Right? A crown on your head. Let me ask you a question. How, do, how does a crown work? How does a crown work? Like, you're, you're, if you have a crown on your head, your head's not down if you have a crown on your head, right? It's shoulder, shoulder back, chin up, head up. You wear that crown. As the young people say today, you walk around with some swagger. You got that crown on because you have been crowned by God. You got some swagger. Now, I'm not talking about arrogance. No, we don't, talk, we don't walk around conceited or with arrogance. We walk in humility, but we walk in confidence, though. Walking in confidence. And David is here, and he's reminding himself, no, 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 there is a crown on you that you have been saved from the pit of hell, and there is a crown that is on your head, that you are loved by God, that you are the object of his affection, and you need to wear that crown with confidence, and you need to tell your soul that you have a crown of mercy and of love on your head. So don't be discouraged. Do not be depressed. Forget not all his benefits, we got we to gotta coach our soul. That's what we got to do. We got to coach our soul. Let's look at the last benefit here. Verse 5, it says this, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Now listen, at the end of the day, knowing God is better than anything else in this world. And David tells his soul that God alone satisfies, and he satisfies with good. That there are a thousand things in this world that is going to promise you and I satisfaction. It is nice and shiny, and it is going to be right in front of you, but all of those things over-promises and under-delivers. But there is one that satisfies with good, and I believe is our relationship with our God. And that is my testimony as I stand before you. You see, I became a Christian when I was a teenager, when I placed my faith in Jesus Christ, and I trusted in him. And I realized each year that Jesus Christ is not only a good Savior, though he is, but he saved me from my sins right? He saved me from all of that. And I've learned that, that actually knowing God and choosing to walk with God is better than anything else in this world. To say no to sin and to say yes to Jesus is becoming less and less of a discipline and more and more just common sense in my life, right? It, I just actually believe impassionately that God is better, to walk in community with his people and to treasure his word and to say yes is more satisfying and more joyful than anything that this world could ever give me, and I passionately believe that. Jesus said, I am the way, and he is the way. He is the only way to the Father. Jesus said, I am the truth, and he is the truth. God's word is the truth, but he also said, I am and the life. Do you believe that? Everything in this world will promise you life and satisfaction, but it is not going to satisfy because God only satisfies. 
And David has to remind himself, this right here is a powerful man. This is a man with all the luxuries in the planet he can have. This is a man who has access to so much, anything in this world. And this man has to remind his soul, soul, don't forget the benefits. Verse 5, it says this, he satisfies with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. And church, we're going to have to remind our soul of that because we're going to have so many nice and shiny objects that is going to tell us that it will satisfy, but it doesn't because Jesus alone satisfies. So point number one is we need to actually coach our soul and remember the benefits of God because we tend to forget them. Number two is we bless the Lord for his character. We bless the Lord for who he is right? Here's what happens in the next nine verses, and we're not, we're not going to dive into all of that. We just don't have the time to, but we're going to see that David here transitioned, and he's talking about the benefits of God, and now what David is going to do is he is going to talk about who God is, who God is. And so we learn, what we learn is this, is that we learn that God forgives because he is a forgiver, that God heals because he is a healer, that God redeems because he is a redeemer. He does good because he is good. His actions results from his character. And so David is going to remind his heart of who God is. And I want to encourage us to learn a lesson from him, to start to train ourselves, to tell ourselves, to tell our soul of the character of God. Because you know why? Because I think our natural inclination and assumption about God are not true. Like, we don't listen to ourselves. We tell ourselves. And let me kind of give you three pictures that we see here in the next nine verses that King David tells himself of the character of God. And so in verse 8, this is what it says in verse 8. It says this, Lord, as merciful and gracious, slow to anger. Can you do me a favor? Can you say slow to anger? And abounding in steadfast love. Can you say abounding in steadfast love? This right here is the most fundamental description of God's character in all of the Bible. I mean, think about it. In Exodus chapter 34, when God wants to describe himself to his people, like God is thinking, like, how can I tell my people who I am? And so it says, I am slow to anger and I am abounding in steadfast love. And what that means is that God, he has, a very, he has a very long fuse, but he's very quick, though, to love. He got, yeah, he gets angry, but it says that I am slow to anger, but I am abounding in steadfast love. Parents, uh, would our kids say the same thing about us? That my dad, my mom, uh, Quick to love and slow to anger, or really quick to get angry and really slow to show love. Our God is slow to anger, and he is just abounding in steadfast love. And what that means is that when you bump into God, you don't, you don't get a... You get a... His knee-jerk reaction toward you is love. It is abounding in love. It is bubbling over the top. That when you bump into God, what spills out, it's not anger. It is love. 
He is slow to anger, and he is abounding in steadfast love. That right there is the true character of our God, and we need to tell our soul that because that's not what we naturally think. We naturally think that God is a little bit ticked off at me, right? Like, I mean, if he's not ticked off, God is just disappointed in me, right? Like, I sin, I know I'm forgiven, but I don't think that I'm really, no, right in that moment, no, no, no. We need to tell our soul in that moment, soul, that is not God. That is not, God is not mad at you if you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ, that he loves you, that he is slow to anger, and he is abounding in steadfast love. Verse 10 to 12, it says this, 10 to 12, he does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so does he remove our transgressions from us. It says that God deals with us according to our sin. He doesn't deal with us according to our sin, that he deals with Jesus according to our sin. That God is not unjust, like he has just apportioned our sins upon Jesus, and Jesus dealt with that on the cross according to our sins, so that he could do with us according to his love and his kindness like a loving father is. And what these verses is saying is that the full measurements of God's mercy and love toward us is just beyond measure. How could he communicate to his people any more than as far as down is from up? That is how much I love you. That is how much I love you. And you're worried about your sin, and if anything that is inhibiting you, me from you, as far as east is from west, well, that's how far your sins are from you. So when you place your faith in Jesus, what is far from you? It's your sins. What is close to you? It's God, his love for you. That is close to you. But, but the thing is, that is not our default mode of our hearts. Because when we mess up, we think that God is out to get me. And now we have to train our soul. No, soul God's love for you is as high as it is down. That we need to train our soul that. And the next picture of God's character is the last one, is this in verse 13. As the Father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. The last picture we see of God is that of a compassionate father. You see, as I shared, I have um, three daughters. When one of my daughters, when they fall down and they hurt their knee, there is nothing I wouldn't do than to take their pain away. When my children go through heartache and pain, my heart breaks. When my children rejoice, my heart rejoices. 
There is something about a compassionate father that is so powerful and just will overtake somebody. And God says, that right there is my heart toward you, that we have a compassionate father. And saying that I I realize that not everyone in here had a compassionate father growing up. But the thing is, the thing about our God is that our God becomes the ultimate good father. Because it says in Psalm 27 verse 10, it says this, My father and mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Our God is a compassionate father. That when you are struggling, he notices. That when you are lonely, he is present. Long fuse, quick to love, heart of a father. So let me ask us a question. And the question is this, is that does your soul, when it is not led, naturally think of God that way? Do you see a father who delights in you? When you are hurting, is he compassionate toward you? When you mess up, is he furious with you? Do you know that you are the absolute object of his affection? And I think sometimes our mind, our soul will just drift into discouragement and despair. Not because we don't think about God, it's because we don't think about God correctly. We're listening to ourselves and we're not speaking to ourselves the truth about who God is. And we think, yep, God's mad at me. He's very mad at me. He's very disappointed in me. No, no. We, we don't listen to ourselves. We talk to ourselves and we talk to ourselves with the truths of God's word, his scripture. And that is what King Saul said. He said, Saul, this is who your God is. Saul, he is a compassionate father. Saul, he is a loving father. Saul, he has forgiven me. This is who your God is. And he commands his soul. When I come into worship, sometimes You know, I I really don't want to worship at first, right? And I tell myself, no, right? Worship your God. Let me tell you a secret. I'm a pastor, and there are some weeks back, there are some weeks that I don't even want to go to church. Like, there are some weeks that I'm, I'm, I'm getting ready to preach. Like, I know I'm preaching that morning, and I'm like, I don't really want to preach. Maybe I could text somebody in my, worship, in my, in my preaching team. Maybe one of the guys, in my, one of, somebody in my preaching team will have a message in their back pocket that they can preach that Sunday, right? And listen, in those moments, right, I say no. There are moments when I wake up in the morning, I really don't want to read my Bible. In those moments, I can't listen to myself, but I speak to myself, and I say no. 
I am going to remind myself who God is. No, I am going to worship my God. I am not listening to myself. I am talking to myself, and I'm going to worship my God. I don't feel like reading my Bible. I don't care. I'm not listening to myself. I am talking to myself. I'm going to hear from God's word. That's what I'm going to do. And in those moments when I think that God is distant, no. I'm going to remind myself of who my God is. Bless the Lord for his character. Bless the Lord for his eternal love. Now, a couple of weeks ago, um, our family, we went out to Austin for a wedding. And a whole bunch of our cousins and family all flew out there, spent a couple of nights there. And my wife, uh, my wife and the girls, we stayed at this really nice hotel. It was nice. But I had one problem, though. Uh, The problem was that I didn't like the pillows in the hotel. Like, I, I like those thin ones, and these were like the big ones. I, I didn't like it. So the next day, we went to Target, and then I went and got some nice pillows for like $12. You know, I figured I'm worth it, right? So like, I need to kind of, you know, get this, these pillows for myself. So I went to the checkout stand, and then we, you know, at the end of the line, we saw these nice Dyson fans. And, you know, it was these nice bladeless fans for $38. And I was like, I don't really sleep well at night without, you know, having the white noise in the background. So I was like, I got to get it because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worth it, right? So I got to get this as well. So $50, $12 for the pillow, $30, I mean, $28 for the fan, $38. And I realized also that my Yankees, sorry, my Yankees are playing that day as well. And, and, the, TV and the, the TV in the hotel room wasn't that big. It was a small TV, and I, I need to watch watch Aaron Judge play, okay, on a big screen TV. So we went, I got this 50-inch LED screen. It was $299. I know, don't judge me, no pun intended. So I got my pillow, I got my fan, I got my flat screen TV. And then I thought, you know, we're in Austin, and the art in the hotel room is really tacky, right? It's like this uh, De Cirillo art, and I mean, it's, a 1990, it's not 1994, we could do a lot better than this. And so we went to discount section, I got me some, you know, I got this tailed buck in velvet painting, it wasn't tacky at all, and then, you know, it was $125, and I thought, you know, I'm worth it, so let me just go buy, go buy that. And then I saw a gorgeous lamp there too, and right now when I, I'm saying all that, Some of you are very suspicious of me. (laughs) Now, why is everybody so suspicious of me that I would do all of that for a hotel room? And you're thinking, Finn, why would you spend so much on some place that you would be for such a short time? Let's look at verse 15 and 16. It says this. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over it, and it is gone. And its place knows it no more. What this verse is saying here is that the physical, temporal, Uh, uh, life that we have in this world is like a blip on the eternal radar screen in the life that we look forward to with our God. It's a blip. He says that the life that we live now, we pop up like the grass. It's like a flower. 
but the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and place no more. Let me ask you a question. How many of you here can name your great, great, great grandparents? Like, think about it. Like, our own family aren't even going to remember us generations down, right? He is telling his soul here, listen, I know that thing right in front of you right now looks so significant. Everything feels so pressing. Your demands, the money that you have, the money that you don't have in your bank account, your goals, where your career is right now, the degrees, the presentations for work, all of that, I know it feels so significant, but listen, the grass is here today, right, and it is gone tomorrow. He's going to put things in perspective for his soul. And then he's going to say this in verse 17 and 18 as I close. He says this, but the steadfast love of the Lord is everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children and those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandment. And I think what David is doing here is he is telling his soul, listen, soul, keep things in check. Bless the Lord because his love goes from everlasting to everlasting And there will come a day when everything that felt so significant in that moment, it doesn't even matter anymore. And so soul, focus on what is eternally significant and what is eternally important because that's what lasts. Bless the Lord for his eternal love for you. As I invite Um, you to join me as you close your eyes and to bow your head as I invite the worship team to come up too. As we just think about what we have heard today and just think about like and say our soul is just thinking about so many things that's right in front of us that is so important. But God says, no, your days are like grass. They're here today and they're gone tomorrow. But the steadfast love goes from everlasting to everlasting that church, we would keep things in perspective. Yes, the immediate needs and wants and crisis and diagnosis and all of that is important. It is important. But in so many ways, though, what we are doing is just furnishing a hotel room. And so we're going to command our soul. Soul, all of that is important. It's fine. But I'm going to focus my heart on the everlasting love of God. No more overcoming with fear and anxiety and worry. We're going to stop listening to ourselves. We're going to start talking to ourselves. And we're going to start leading our soul. God has given us not a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. No more letting that one thing of a thousand things, the one failure, the one mess up, be what we think about. But we will bless the Lord for all of his benefits.
Yes, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, there is no one like you who can just capture our hearts. Your benefits, oh Lord, we can just take inventory of them from eternity and be just be in awe of it, Lord. In Ephesians, it says that we have been blessed with every spiritual score in life. And may that be our blessing, Lord, that Jesus has given us. God, you've given that to us, the good gifts, because you are a good God. Would we discipline ourselves to know and relate to who you truly are? Oh, Lord, as we sing right now in response, would we do do so, Lord, with that heavenly gaze right now, with a mindful perspective that everything on our calendar, everything awaiting us once we leave this place is really like grass, God. The wind passes by it and it's over. But we have been invited by you, O God, into eternity that starts now with the community and just communing with you, our eternal God, And so we worship you. And Lord, as we sing this song, may we start to practice that discipline ourselves. And we say, I bless the Lord, O my soul. It's in Jesus' mighty name I pray.